I love movies. Viva la raza! Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. Hola amigos, welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. Matt, it's the end of the spooky season. All great things must come to an end. Halloween has come and gone. Even Dia de los Muertos ended yesterday. How was your how was your Halloween season? I think it was a pretty good one. Um, I, I I got to have a lot of fun uh, partying Halloween party with the new neighbors. Uh, the uh, that's what that's what I went and did after the podcast last week. We went over there. I was kind of nice, worried nice. I would be but one of the only guys in costume as. Sometimes happens a lot in Austin. You know, you get you get put on a nice Halloween costume and you go out to the party and you get there and you look su- super weird because everybody else is just you know too cool for costumes. Now, and now, what was your costume? Did you go as a panda? Uh, no, I just had this chimpanzee mask lying around the house that I put on. It, it's been um, a really busy year, so I didn't have time to make a very decent costume. But uh, would you say you're all about that chimp life? I I don't know that reference if it is just one. say yes all right sure uh I'm all about that chimp life uh that's right but uh basically i felt underdressed actually it turns out my neighbors and their friends are big time halloween enthusiasts and everybody there had some really wicked costumes and so that was awesome uh unfortunately halloween itself was not what i was wanting it to be i um why i decorated the house you know i i bought a bunch of candy friends came over we all got in costumes and we were ready to just you know pass out candy to trick-or-treaters man and i guess that's just kind of going out of style we only had about four all night and um they uh they didn't even they weren't even walking they were like cars with a car would pull up and the you kids the... would get out and like go to the house and then go back to the car well i think that's a byproduct of this you remember like okay so remember when we were kids and you had the whole there was the whole urban legend of like watch out for the 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 apple that has the razor blade stuck inside and then you know a little bit later on it, it became like parents check your candy because it could be poisoned do you remember all that oh, sort of scare tactics still doing that i saw uh, oh it's gotten worse a local newspaper in austin was saying um thc candies be on the lookout yeah, yeah. I saw I saw that, and then I saw the accompanying meme that said, "Nobody likes your kids so much to give them their their edibles." Yeah, it's like, r- it's those things aren't those are those aren't cheap. I mean, they're not totally baseless legends. There have been police reports. You know, there've been incidents. Um, I think sometime in the '90s. Some and they're like that far apart though. It's like ten, then ten years later, like some. But some kid in the '90s found some little uh, metal wire in his candy. Uh, apparently. Um, somebody was using like thin sharp wire and just kind of like inserting them into candies and somebody found that and but yeah look i'm, I'm, I'm part, not that's, saying that's a stupid thing to be afraid of yeah it's like it's what the, the odds are so low that to sensationalize it the way the media does it's done a disservice and i think what what i i, I ran into someone the other day who was talking about how like halloween is like a 60 billion dollar industry or something ridiculous like it's insane. But to your point, you don't really see kids trick-or-treating like you used to. You know, now, even when I was a kid, like, you would go to nicer neighborhoods. Okay. You know, you start yeah. to see, like, oh, it's like, oh, we're not going to be in our neighborhood. We're going to go to the nice people's neighborhood. And, like, you know, the, remember, remember I don't know if it's still that way, but there was always that street in Austin 
that was like the whole street got like crazy like decorations for Halloween. Um, Went to a party there once. Was it on the west side? No, I don't remember where it was. It had like a giant dinosaur in the yard. Oh, wow. No, I don't remember that. Anyway, so there was this one street in Austin that kind of the all the neighbors like in the same way that people do for like christmas they went all out and so like you know people relocate to certain areas but it does it does feel like the phenomenon of just sort of going home to home and you know asking for candy is is not as popular people go to malls now it's like a thing you go to the mall and get candy yeah i've, I've heard so I, lame. I think they had that when i was a kid too but we didn't do that that you know something too though um you and I are uh, people that live in um, parts of town where there's not really a whole lot of family life going on. It's There are families, but it's not as, you sure. know, we're not out there in those suburban areas. That's true. Uh, maybe kind of like the kind we grew up in. Um, so, you know, maybe what we're remembering is uh, still going on. Because I, I know I, I have a friend that's out in a, one of Austin's satellite towns called Buda. It's spelled Buda, but it's beauta but uh there's um because it's beautiful there's just basically just families that escaped from the town to go raise their kids and uh hide away you know and um right his neighborhood was just littered with halloween decorations i mean high-end stuff like one woman had a full pirate ship in her yard That's uh, awesome. with skeletons and like a walkway that it was pretty wicked stuff man uh tombstones everywhere and and so he had about 20 trick-or-treaters that night but still 20 right. you know 20 doesn't seem like much though for that that kind of neighborhood um but yeah uh, right you would you would assume like hundreds no it was the saddest thing i, I just kept you know we were we, we were in the backyard just having some drinks and then i would hear some voices and i would run out to the street and look you know and oh yeah someone's down the street someone's coming and you know, <laughs> <laughs> get everything ready you, know? you guys were more excited than the kids were Pretty much, yeah. Well, uh, I, I have I kind of have this feeling that Halloween has essentially become more of an adult's holiday than it has a, a kid's holiday because you know the media has ruined it for children. They just absolutely ruined it, you know. And I, I listen, I'm not a, necessarily a conspiratorially minded person, uh-huh. but if I was, it does seem to me that the way where they drove you to take your kids was into malls take you off the grassroots streets of collecting candy and drive you into these corporate owned shopping malls so that you can get candy, but you can also uh, buy commerce. I don't know if you heard about what happened in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia. Well, I, you know, I usually like to keep, you know, my, my finger to the pulse of Chesapeake, Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) But I was a little busy this week with all the spooky season stuff going on. So I, I I may have missed a smidgen of news here or there. So by all means, catch me up. Well, they, they have uh, posted uh, new laws for trick-or-treating. They oh, my God. Like, like an ordinance here. We've got uh, anyone over 12 years old, uh, that's a misdemeanor, with a 25 to to $100 fine and or jail up to six months. For trick-or-treating? Over the age of 12. Why? I, I don't know, man. Why can't you be over the age of 12 <laughs> trick-or-treating? They'd rather you go... Under do some underage drinking at a party, I guess. I don't know. Uh, trick That's or treating, terrible. trick or treating after eight p.m. What? That'll cost you anywhere from ten to a hundred dollars, and up to thirty days in jail. What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. Shit's getting serious, man. Can, you know, you know, you know. Every year, and and we're we're about to encroach upon this period of time. You know what time I'm talking about, right? Thanksgiving time, time. when. 
Well, no, right after Thanksgiving. Oh. Time when Fox News starts reporting on the greatest war of all. Oh, the war. The war that has ooh. the war that has spanned the, war that will never end. the generational war. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The yeah. war on Christmas. The endless war. Yes, the war on old Saint Nick. It's it, well, actually, no. He, I don't know what side he's on because sometimes the war is on Christmas, and so and and it's like on Santa Claus too, and then right. sometimes it's like Santa Claus is on the other side, and the, and the war is on Jesus because you know he's the reason for the season, and so. Uh, well, well so listen, if you're, I, if you're doing Santa, are you fighting the war on Christmas, or are are you? Supporting I don't know. Christmas? Here's the thing. I think this is all a false flag. This war on Christmas. The real war is on Halloween. Clearly, well, clearly they're they're, they're waving the right damage. hand. Yeah. They're waving the right hand, so they don't. So you don't see what the left hand is doing to Halloween. Oh, I see it. I mean, uh, God, Home Keep, Home Depot had their Christmas decorations out before they had their Halloween decorations out. It's this ridiculous. Year. It's ridiculous. So, so Grindhouse listeners, stay vigilant. The war is upon us. They are they are turning the frogs into conservatives. We need to be. <laughs> We need to be steadfast in our resolve to maintain Halloween and all the glory that comes with it. Don't let Christmas take over. Imperialistic Christmas. If, I want to make a shirt that says that. If there really was like a like some way to stop Christmas, though, like like a war on Christmas, would you do? Would you be? What side would you be on? I actually like Christmas quite a bit. Like, I I actually really do enjoy Christmas. Um, I'm not religious by any stretch, uh, traditionally religious by any stretch, more probably neo-paganistic, but uh, I enjoy it. I mean, it, who doesn't enjoy like the fun parts of Christmas? But I also r- recognize that, you know, I don't want to be hit over the head with someone else's Western beliefs. And, you know, I, I so I don't know. I mean, if we're talking a heart, what are we talking about? Are we talking about ending Christmas or are we talking about uh, a war on Jesus? I don't know. Uh, like I, I imagine if there was a war on Christmas, um, even if that was a real possible thing somehow, the, the, the end goal wouldn't be to make Christmas go away forever. It would just be to kind of kind of take it down a peg, you know? Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I don't think you're ever going to win. Old place. Listen, if, if you're never going to win a war on Christmas because Santa has a, an an infinite number of elf troops. Oh, really? Okay, you just, yeah, yeah, just so many, like more than China. Like you're just never gonna. They're they're gonna win the ground the the ground attack every time. Do they? Have- like your only hope, and they have and they have amazing uh, air support with the flying reindeer. You know they have they have ground troops. It's like it's like trying to attack Russia during the winter. It's just this is never gonna end well for anyone. We just need to let Christmas be, and try to you know try to split the holidays down the middle. Thanksgiving is essentially our Berlin Wall. No Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. And That's right. Halloween. Listen, I love Mariah Carey as much as the next person, but you keep that song at bay until the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I've never liked Christmas music. That's always been a, a tough thing for me. What about Halloween music? What about spooky season? Like, what? What? What do you? How are you feeling? Do you have a little bit of a Halloween hangover? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, and also Halloween music. Remember we did that little playlist, and I thought of some other yeah. things like. Uh, I don't think anybody mentioned like Ramon's Pet Cemetery. You know, mm. uh, some of the songs like that. Uh, I think I may. I think that did make it to the playlist, did, but okay. I didn't mention it. Yeah, like there, there. I I don't know. Halloween music. I feel like could be so many different things. Where Christmas music, it's not like where Halloween 
music could just be dark music, create, you know, sure, metal, right. uh, horrifying, you know, it's kind of like horror movies or Halloween movies, even though they're not about Halloween, but Christmas music and Christmas movies are this really specific thing. That's just like, Hey, it's Christmas. Ah, you know, and, and they're just, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about Pretty it. Pretty sure like, that is actually the way a song starts. <laughs> hey, it is Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Ah, take it. Take it. Take it right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, because it doesn't apply anywhere else. You can't listen to Little Drummer Boy in August. It's weird. Okay. Well, you shouldn't probably listen to it. You can do anything you want. Yeah, you can, but you're going to look really strange. Christmas, well, Christmas lights, however, those are becoming universal. Those are kind of uh, coming up everywhere. People just leave them up all year long? Not necessarily like leaving their Christmas lights up all year long, but like you might go to a party in July and there's Christmas lights all hung in the backyard just to kind of light things up. You yeah, know, I suppose. Some people are hanging them indoors now. Uh, after Stranger Things, you might get <laughs> people are doing kind of putting them on the wall and, you know, that sort of thing. The Christmas light art? Yeah. <laughs> so they're becoming more well, universal. Well, Matt, before we get too ahead of ourselves with Christmas, we have to talk about one other holiday that, that oftentimes gets overlooked or maybe just gets lumped in with Halloween, and that's Dias de los Muertes. Yes. And, the Day of the and Dead. I, yeah, the Day of the Dead for you uh, gringos out there. And I had the opportunity to go to a Dias de los Muertos festival yesterday at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, posted some of the photos up. And it's amazing. And, and I don't know how familiar you really are with the Day of the Dead and, and sort of the tradition behind it. It's sort of a weird mix between Catholic and pagan beliefs, as oftentimes these these holidays are. And it's a, it's a time spread over a couple of days where you're meant to remember the dead, yeah, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembering your ancestors and those that came before you, the people who, who blazed the path that you now walk. And so I thought in the spirit of that, we would – take a look back and look at some of the Latin influence on cinema. The, of dead, like dead Latin influence? Like nah, it doesn't have to be dead. dead. Just, just, just in general, you know, case in point, I was listening to another podcast that Elijah Wood does called Visitations. And he interviewed Guillermo del Toro uh, across two podcasts. And it was just fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating to hear about his life, sort of how he grew up. You know, most artists, you... You always imagine them, you know, like their stories went the same way. It's like they grew up kind of poor and their poverty sort of influenced their what, – what's going on with that window, Matt? Uh, sorry. I'm not really <laughs> sure if you can see out it. There's there's people in the sky. Is that a flag? I see a flag. Yeah, there's a flag. Some people are parachuting. Okay. Oh, that's creepy. The invasion oh. – the, the the Christmas invasion has begun. Can you see them? Is it focusing? Uh, I see a blurry thing gliding down in the sky. Get it. Grand House Podcast people, we are always <laughs> we're Sorry. able to pivot. Got distracted there. Uh, I mean, I, I see a blurry thing going down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Is that someone parachuting with like an American flag parachute? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know how they're pulling it off. They've got like a parachute, but then they've got a flag that's like fucking fifth, you know, 10 times bigger than the parachute, man. It looks kind of dangerous, but... That looks creepy as hell. Well, it's pretty let wild. Me know, let me know when they they land into oncoming traffic. There, it looks like they landed at the. I don't know where they are now. They went down into the buildings, but oh, there he goes. Oh wow, he's landing on. He's like going right down into the street, man. I told you he's gonna land in the oncoming traffic. No, I think he's like sailing on into the parade. 
Some impressive shit. Yeah, I'm missing. I'm missing like probably the coolest thing that's going to happen this whole weekend. <laughs> so I no, said sir. like a hundred bikers no, went so down you, the road, and then like you're 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 doing the coolest thing that's going to happen this weekend. That's talking <laughs> to our audience, letting them know about crazy people parachuting down from the sky with American flags. I'm sorry, man. You're talking about something really important. I, I don't even do. know what I was talking about. No, I was talking about. I was talking about you know Latin American influence on movies and talking about Guillermo del Toro and his interview with Elijah Wood and. It's really fascinating. You know, you guys should listen to it if you like horror stuff. You know, Guillermo de Toro's dad won the lottery when he was like five. Oh, wow. So so even though his, I mean, even though they grew up in Mexico, and they, you know, like they grew up fairly affluent. Like his dad owned a series of, uh, of uh, used car lots and, and he won the lottery. And so they, you know, moved into a bigger house. And so he, he was actually given quite a bit of, of uh, luxury growing up. But at the same time, he was he was relentlessly bullied as a kid. He was kind of a weird kid, and his mom was sort of a witch. She was into tarot and and crystals and things of that nature, like Santeria uh. type stuff. And you know, his dad was kind of stern, like more conservative type. Didn't really understand the more imaginativeness of him. And um, his mom was very bohemian, and so she, they would leave Guadalajara and go into Mexico City. And so. Uh, often he was raised with his grandmother and so he just had this really disruptive family unit in some ways and then you know as as is the nature of of mexico like it's a, a little bit more of a wild sort of violent place than we most people grow up in in america and you know he dealt with fighting and, and he was even talking about how he he put on weight so that he would have just some bulk against bullies that were beating him up you know uh but like all amazing artists he retreated into books and he uh, he had a cousin who was viciously murdered and it was then in, in his mind that he realized that um he connected with the dark side of things you know horror and macabre because that felt real that was that was more real to the life that he was experiencing than the idea of like divinity and and sainthood and things of that nature so you know you go to look at some of the films that he's produced like uh, pan's labyrinth you know, uh, you know he's the, the the movies that he made uh the, the shape of water the movies that he makes are so influential now yeah th- that i thought we should look back at some of the other m- influential like latin american talent and filmmakers and movies that are out there that that maybe have shaped our cinematic experience in ways that we don't even fully always recognize well, uh, Guillermo del Toro, when I was pretty young, uh, one of the first films of his I saw was Devil's Backbone, which was just a very original kind of ghost story. It took place, uh, I believe, during World War II at this little orphanage, mm-hmm. um, which, and it was just such a cool setting. They, he had this, uh, there was a bomb in, in the center of the, the courtyard of the orphanage because um, uh, enemy planes had tried to blow it up, but the bomb was a dud. So there was just this strange kind of atmosphere of, but but they couldn't send any uh, people out there because they were so far out. They couldn't send any people right. out there to inspect it or disarm it. So the whole film had this strange atmosphere of, um, you know, this weird orphanage kind of out in the desert, but there's just this bomb in the center of the courtyard and maybe it will be stable, maybe not, but, uh, and th- but they can't leave because they need s- somewhere to take care of the kids. And right. there was this whole ghost story. They, they were... Uh, seeing this uh, dead child walking in the halls and I had one of the most original things I, I had seen to that day. Um, and well, I still haven't seen this done. Uh, it was like you would see this, uh, you know, this, this ghastly dead child down at the end of the hall and there would be right. this blood sort of leaking out of the top of his head 
into the air around him. And it just, it was, it, huh. it was weird. It didn't, it wasn't like it was squirting out. It wasn't like that. It was like, it was dissipating, like almost like a gas out into the air. around Right. Him. Right. And you find out that it's because it's the ghost of a child who was bludgeoned and then thrown in a pond. And oh, so, so it's floating in the water. Yeah. So he's, he's underwater, his corpses. And that's why the ghost constantly looks like his head is bleeding out into water because that's where the child, and it was, uh, a mystery, really, which is such a cool thing because it's going back to that that old way of ghost stories where they're always like a mystery. Why is this spirit still among us? You know, and I had never seen anybody do it like Guillermo del Toro did it, and it was a Spanish speaking film, uh, probably the first Spanish speaking horror film I've ever seen. Um, when I was, uh, you know, I, th- I think I was about eighteen when I watched that, and I was just so impressed by the guy. And uh, moving forward, I've tried to watch everything he does. Well, you know, there's there's inherently embedded in, in Latin culture is sort of a, a sense of mysticism that maybe is sometimes lost in, in more um, American culture. Uh, the idea, you know, we talked last week about ghost stories, right? Yeah. But we didn't even talk about some of the more classic ghost stories that we that I experienced as a child, like a La Llorena, right? The, the weeping woman who allegedly drowned her children because she couldn't get them to, to behave. And so as a, as her penance, she's, she's forced to walk the banks looking for her children, weeping out of guilt. Right. Right. Now one could argue that what you where that, that origin of that story comes from is uh, coyotes out in the woods. And, they, and then when they, when they yelp, they sound like they're weeping. Right. Uh-huh. But it's very embedded in the culture uh, for me, growing up as a Mexican American, you could also look at like a Bloody Mary. Yeah. You, know, you look into the, you turn off the lights, and you look into the mirror, and you say Bloody Mary three times, and she will appear and murder you or scare you at very minimum. Um, even something more localized, like do you remember the the train tracks in San Antonio? Do you remember that sort of ghost story? Yeah, you, where you could go to the train tracks, and um, supposedly if you put flour on the back of your car, you would see uh, yeah. children's handprints when you got yeah, home. Yeah, you you. Yeah, you put your car uh, on the train tracks and you put it in neutral. And then the kids who allegedly uh, their bus got stuck on the train tracks and were killed, yes. they will push you to safety That's to right. the other side. Your car will automatically roll off the train tracks. Yes, they will coast back. Yeah, or well, not coast, but it will yes, they get pushed yeah. or something. Yeah, that's right because they, they don't want to have any – they're there to, to help. Some ghosts right. can be helpful. Um, and, and it's interesting because, like, in, in I think it's specifically in Latin American culture, the idea of ghosts and, and you know, the other world operates far differently than traditionally how we think about it in American culture, right? It's sort of like in American culture, it's like heaven and hell, ghosts kind of exist, kind of don't. But if they do exist, they're purely for evil purposes. Yeah. And I think that in um, when you start getting south of the border, the idea of that is just a little bit different. I mean, even if you look at Dias de los Muertos, people wear skulls, half skulls, you know, and, and they dress as La Catina and, and they it's it's a different kind of celebrating of the dead. You know, like you dress as the dead to celebrate the dead. It's it's joyous. Yeah. It's not meant to be scary. Right. And. One of the things that I find with like Guillermo del Toro, for example, is that he brings so much of that into his movies that it's just it's much different than most filmmakers. Even someone like say a Tim Burton, who sort of revels in the uh, the fantasy of the absurd, he's more he's more influenced from say like an Edward Gorey type art, right? Which is it's macabre, but it's 
it's not so deeply spiritual. And I think that that because of Guillermo's background and growing up in Mexico and that kind of culture, I think it's it's necessary to bring that into his movies, which which, again, to your point, they're very they feel very original because they're from a different perspective. Yeah, I could see that there. There definitely is. It, it's it is a fresh perspective because um, I think uh, a lot. A lot. Well, a lot of times you especially the Day of the Dead, like you're talking about, you see, you do see these things in horror films, American-made horror films right. from white filmmakers, but they're treated as exotic. They're treated as color for the palette. You know, they're they're not um, they're meant to look strange, and that's uh, that that's not. I mean, it'd be like if um, you know we were showing uh, a Protestant well, you know, Protestant Christian things as exotic or strange it's well you know what you know what you know what immediately it makes me think of is midsummer yeah right yeah. It's this idea that you go to a different culture and, and their ways are so strange and, and exotic and it's it's always shown to be something that you should be weary of yeah like the the weird brujas you know making some kind of poison or something um, right it's, yeah it, it's always like evil you know it's uh and, and i think it's because western we're not western but uh american culture i guess uh european culture we have association the, the skulls are like a symbol of evil i mean the nazis had skulls as their symbol you know it's the, right. the skull is usually like marks the bad guy in the narrative right right and so uh, skeletor skeletor yeah great example right it's never something that's seen as positive. Death, death isn't seen as positive in any way. And, uh, right. And where death doesn't, I mean, it's not obviously great when young people die or, uh, you know, people who haven't had a lot of experiences, but, you know, death at the, as, as the period of a long, full life, uh, uh, someone who's been happy, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a time that that life ends and you get to celebrate that life. And um, Right. So, One of the, it's interesting. There's a Gilmo had a quote or, or sort of a belief where he says, I, I truly believe that we live for the last three minutes of our life. Okay. Which is, to, which is to sort of speak to what you're saying, which is like when you're on your deathbed, how will you look back at your life and will you die in peace with, you know, peace of mind that you accomplish things or you live or will you pass away with regret? I, there's that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I was more referring to uh, the people who are still around celebrating the lives of the long, oh, sure. long lives of the elderly who die. But but also uh, I, I hear that I don't actually put much stock into the whole like looking back at, at your life thing, because uh, some people die in really terrible ways, uh, no matter what their life was. I mean, some people, you know, like if you're trapped in a house fire burning alive it's going to be hard yeah. to think about regrets or like if you, if you parachute down into oncoming traffic <laughs> yeah, that would probably maybe. Suck. Uh, i don't know yeah in, instant death or maybe uh you know some people get we, we've watched a lot of films where people are kidnapped and tortured to death and um they're probably sure. not you know sitting there going I've had some pretty good accomplishments. I it's it's been a good life, you know. Well, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say. But there's been some even from where we're at, there's been some pretty influential people to come out of our neck of the woods that have had a big impact on film. Well, I was uh I, I went to the high school that, that uh, Lou Diamond Phillips graduated from That's right. known for his role in the iconic film La Bamba, which was just Yeah, La Bamba. I mean, Richie Valens. Yeah, about, about the yeah, the rock and roll legend Ricky Richie Valens, Richie Valenzuela. 
and, That's and right. um, that was a rad movie. We grew up watching that, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool thing to think that La Bamba himself, not well, not the real, the guy who played yeah. La Bamba, <laughs> went to our high school. Also in Stand and Deliver with Edgar James Olmos. That's right. Classic film growing up. Yeah. Jaime Escalante, the, the, the famous math teacher who's That's right. That's right. Yes. And, and, and of course, like, you know, some people may know that Eva Langoria is from our neck of the woods as well. She was in Desperate Housewives, most notably. Uh, she was a uh, Miss Kingsville, I believe. Oh really, Miss Kingsville? I think she, How about that? Yeah, I think I know. I, was like, I think that's what's that was sort of like. She wants some beauty pageant, and then from there she went on to acting, and, and she went on to star and produce several movies. Um, another person who people may know f- is from our hometown, but but strictly for her music, and not realize that her role in a film was actually pretty influential, and that's uh, that's Selena. So she was in. Do you remember the movie Don Juan DeMarco? Uh. Uh, was it called that Don Juan DeMarco? Yeah, you talking about the one yeah. with Johnny Depp and uh, yeah, she was yeah, in that sort of, really. Yeah, sort of a weird story about a, a guy who thinks he is Don Juan, but he's actually just John DeMarco, and so uh, he goes to a psychiatrist, and his psychiatrist is Marlon Brando, who you know indulges his fantasy. So it's a small part, but she has a little bit part as as sort of a singer in a Mexican restaurant. And it might seem like just a sort of a cameo, but at the time to have like a Mexican musician in a mainstream Hollywood film, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, she started doing some uh, music in America in in English. And she was obviously on the brink of crossing over into mainstream success before she was, you know, really terribly, unfortunately, um, her life was ended. Yeah. Who knows? She, but, she could have been. Uh, at the at the start of a film career, even I mean, she was a talented, interesting person, hardworking, very cool, and it's just uh, uh, I I don't know how many of our listeners are f- familiar with uh, the tragic death of Selena, uh, but uh, you, I mean, we you you uh, too, Dave, you must have been a kid. I mean, we, oh yeah, in, in I think Corpus I was thirteen, time, fourteen, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you lived in Corpus then too, right? Yeah, 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 because she died in Corpus Christi, murdered by um, her the the head of her fan club. Yeah, yeah, whom she was employing. Yeah. Just... And she considered a friend. Yeah, it was very bizarre. And, and you know, from her death, though, uh, you know, talk about, like, what she could have been maybe as a as an actress. Uh, the story of this Tejano singer who was slain did get made into a movie, uh, ironically also starring Edgar J. Almos, but someone that people might be even more familiar with, with just Jennifer Lopez. You know, I remember that the uh, Corpus community was – kind of upset about something that went down before that movie. I don't know if you remember the um, audition. The the, yes, the auditions. They, they. Well, uh, I only remember that they were there, there was some <laughs> outrage because Jennifer Lopez is of Puerto Rican descent, well, and obviously Selena was of Mexican American descent. No, I'm t- I'm talking about. They had a like a casting call and like talent competition for trying to find um, the child who would play the young Selena in the film. Oh, okay, okay. And, um, well, I, I, the, the word was that after all of this went down, that they, they really just did that to stir up interest in the movie. They'd already picked their actress long oh, before. No. Yeah. And so, so many Corpus girls were, <laughs> they went to these auditions and they put their heart and soul into it. And they were, you know, and so many mothers were just so excited for the opportunity that their daughters are going to be famous in the Selena movie. 
and it turned out it was all just a publicity stunt, uh, just to just to get interest in the film. Well, listen, when you know, one of the things growing up in a town like Corpus Christi, where I, I don't know how you felt growing up there, but I certainly felt that there was very limited options for a career. It was like you work as in a shop, you work at a hospital, or you work in a refinery. Yeah, and and that really felt like the only options you have. So for a movie to be born out of there and shot partially there. Uh, it, it opened the door to this idea that maybe there is opportunities in different fields. And and those opportunities would never have been open to a young man like myself if not for, you know, Selena and, and the movie that followed, you know, and followed her life and, and some of the actors like Lou Diamond Phillips and, and um, Eva Longoria that came from that area. Not to mention just up the road, we have a hugely influential director uh, born out of San Antonio, Texas, which is Robert Rodriguez. That's right. Yeah. Operating out of Austin. He lives, is he still living in Austin, Texas? I, but I believe so. Yeah. yeah I mean, we talked about last week how I went to go see Grindhouse, which is the show's namesake, and how I did prefer the um, the Planet Terror segment better and his use of getting actors over, like Freddie Rodriguez, et cetera. But like, that's a guy who has really – I mean, you want to look at the influence of him. He – you know – even maybe more so than his movies, his his ten minute film schools have inspired an entire generation of young filmmakers to go out there and get in the game and and not wait for the gatekeepers to allow them in, including myself. Yeah, because that's that was one of the things that he really pioneered was the low budget that doesn't look low budget. You know, right. he was like this miracle man. Like we were, everybody kind of talked about that when he first started really getting big that, you know, he can make a film on any budget you give him and you won't, yes. you won't be able to as, guess what he spent. You know, as Mariachi, which, which in fairness was given a quite a bit of money to get it suitable for theaters. But, you know, the initial cut of the film that was designed for VHS, you know, home video was made for $7,000, you know, part of which he funded by selling himself to science and going to a small Mexican town that he had family and friends at. And just using the things that he had. If I he he had a turtle, so he worked a turtle into his script. He had an old guitar case. He worked an old guitar case into his script. And it was a it was a way of filmmaking that I'm I'm not saying he invented, but he certainly popularized and followed it following it up with his Rubble Without a Crew book. I mean that's that's huge. I mean a lot of innovative filmmakers came from that camp. That like hey, you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars on film school. You can just pick up a camera and use your creativity and go. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If you've got good ideas, uh, you can make them happen. Uh, and, and that's something, you know, um, it kind of unrelated to Latin filmmaking, but I, I uh, you know, I, I, like I watch Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, and um, okay. they always spend so much money on these sets, you know, that I mean, these elaborate sets for every sketch they do. And it just uh, falls flat because the jokes usually aren't really that great. It just isn't yeah, right. that good anymore. Um, What's the uh, lipstick on the pig? Yeah, it's weird. Analogy. Yeah, and then you watch like some old stuff like Kids in the Hall or Mr. Show where these really basic, you know, primitive sets, they, they slap together some shit and like they they don't care. And But it's hilarious, you know? And so that's what it's really about. It's like, you know, same with music. You can spend a ton of money on production, but... Um, if it's not good music, then, you know, what have you got? Right. It's about authenticity in the end, yeah. right? And if you're really passionate, if you, if that passion can carry over into the, the TV show or the film that you're making, then the experience and the imaginative sort of allowance 
grows not only with you but with your audience as well um yeah speaking of snl they have a uh, a latina uh, actress right on there on there now that's actually finally finally in this current season getting some real uh screen time and that's uh right. melissa villasenor have you seen her oh, okay no i don't watch snl oh man she's amazing she started on um like america's got talent or something doing impressions and she was just incredible with these impressions which impressions are kind of whatever it's kind of goofy you know but she was really good at it and um, right. they ended up hiring her for snl and uh god she's been on now for like three or four seasons and she hardly gets any screen time. And it's a real bummer because anybody watching can see that this woman is hilarious. But, you know, there's a lot of competition on that show with the older cast and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, finally, she's she's starting to get there. And I, I think she's going to be huge. I, I think we could see her in movies in the future. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't checked her so. out, uh, give her a look. She's really funny. Well, and it's so hard for, for Latino and Latina actors and actresses to break out because, you know, I've sat in meetings where we're talking about a script and – it's 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 just inherently embedded in people's brains that if you're talking about say criminals you talk about people that look a certain way and if you talk about you know um professionals business professionals you think about people that look a certain way and it's really hard to get that out of people's brains when they're thinking about casting and giving people opportunities and so yeah you know a lot of times you see people like um George Lopez. You look at a gentleman like George Lopez, and and he's got to play pretty heavily on cliches in order to get a voice, right? Oftentimes, you got to lean into that, and 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 um and then once you're lo- around long enough, then you maybe you can branch out. And you can try doing other stuff. Uh, you look at someone like you look at like uh, look at Cheech and Chong, for example. How much of their career was based on sort of stereotypes and making fun of stereotypes, not only. With a uh, with a uh, you know marijuana use and weed, but also just generally like Mexican stereotypes play a part in their comedy in so much that they're trying to like subvert the way people look at things. Yeah, but but they still had to lean into them. I mean, Cheech is still dressed like a cholo. You know, he still has. They still use you know certain certain terms. There's a, there's a there's a clip online where Cheech is singing a song called Mexican Americans, and then oh, yeah. Chong has a retort song, and it's like uh, yeah, he uses a term that's fairly offensive. And but that's you know like they, he says beaners. Uh, yeah, he says beaners. Yes, <laughs> eat beans. Because uh, uh, but the right. lyrics to Cheech's song are are absolutely hilarious and relatable. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, they don't like to go to the movies where the actor has to wear brown or blue contacts because don't it make my right. blue eyes? What was he? Uh, Mexican Americans don't like to go to the movies where the actor has to wear blue contacts because don't it make my brown eyes blue or something? You know? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but, I mean, that's so that's a like, real. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, a- right. actors having to change their names from Estevez to Sheen. I was just gonna say, yeah, that. yeah. you know, stuff like that. And and so I I hear what you're saying, but I feel like. George Lopez, uh, Cheech Marin, I, I feel like they're the guys that uh, said, hey, you know, these characters, I don't know, you, maybe they were a little too stereotypical, but they were relatable to other people. And that's the point yes. is that oh. even if a guy looks like a cholo and rides a low rider, he's a real person that has a normal life and has like is an interesting person. Oh, 100%. I, no disrespect to those guys at all. I think that they do what's necessary. They know what the audience expects, and then they subvert those expectations by making you relate to something that you would normally just laugh at. Yeah. But And it's important, but it's difficult. You know, it's it's difficult to break out. Um, you know, another artist who has broken out is uh, Salma Hayek. Uh-huh. You know, Salma Hayek breaking out from just being what's considered sort of like, you know, the 
the Latin uh, female person of desire to playing roles like Frida Kahlo, who in and of herself had to break out into the world of art and entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, too, uh, in a lot of her roles where she did kind of start out like you're talking about, like the beautiful, exotic Latino woman. And I, I think even in, right. even in some of the later uh, romantic comedies she did, she got to just be a woman, not, not right, this exactly. exotic thing, you know, but, but right. an actual person. And that's that's what's important. That's what we need, you know, is more uh, roles for, for uh, Latin, Latin and Latina actors where it's, um, you know, it's, it's – uh, you get to be just real relatable people and exactly. your culture you is know, there and it's important. You know, the, the culture, the character's culture is there and it's important, but it's not uh, token. a token or a cartoon. You know what I thought was really cool? We've talked about a little bit about like the superhero stuff, right? You know, what are superhero movies and some people's really feverish obsession with superhero movies, but and part and parcel with that is Star Wars. But you know what I thought was really cool was Diego Luna's role in uh, Rogue One, I, where he's just a Latino actor in a Star Wars movie. That's it. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, like he's just a character. Well, Star, Star Wars typically likes to do their um, stereotypes with uh, the aliens, right? Where you can look well, at the, the Star Wars for film sure. and go, "That's that's the." Jamaican alien and that's the Korean well, the, the, those were the those were in the prequels and we don't talk about those but you know in the in the original trilogy just off the top of my head there was just Lando which when I was growing up is the character I loved the most because Lando even though he's an African-American character in some ways he's I still related more to him than I did you know the other characters that all had British accents you know and so as a grown man to see like a Latino actor cast in this the second lead in a Star Wars film yeah and, him just be him, and really, even Oscar Isaac actually. Oscar Isaac is of um, uh, Guatemalan descent. Oh, is he? I think he's he's from South America. Yeah, South American descent. Um, it's just really cool. It's cool to see actors starting to get into these bigger blockbustery type movies and just be able to be characters, not have to rely on their ethnicity to establish themselves. Yeah, yeah, they just get to be the heroes. They just get it do, there's no reason to explain why they're not white. Exactly. Yeah. They're just they're just there. <laughs> and and speaking of heroes, when I was growing up, I had two superheroes that I was big fans of growing up. I don't know if you shared them, but one of them was Antonia Banderas and Desperado. Oh yeah. And the other one, who is still my hero and the only actor that I will ask for a photo is Danny Trejo. Trejo is the man. Yeah, I love. He is shoot. a legend. Yeah, he was. I'm. I'm trying to think that. I. I think maybe Desperado was the first time that I saw Danny Trejo in a film, and yeah, it was, he was just also in, right uh, away. Yeah, he was okay. like, man, that guy is. That guy's cool. <laughs> like that's. Yeah, he that is. dude looks mean as hell, and I. What's amazing is, um, God, he had to be like. 35 in those days something like that he's, he's pretty old <laughs> but now he's, I, uh, but he looked I've but he had, looked at 35 i mean he had that grizzled hard yeah. looking face where he could i mean he, he looks could be 35 he could same. be 50 you know he looks yeah, like, he's looked the same he's probably looked the same since he was 35 to now he's in his 70s yeah 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 i don't, I don't think he's aged which which probably wasn't a, a a compliment when he was 35 but it's certainly a compliment now that he's in his 70s oh, he's in great shape yeah absolutely uh, i've actually i've had the the, the great fortune to work with Danny twice. Once on my very first feature film, Beat Down, uh, 
where uh, you know Danny only came in for a day, but he was so sweet, so nice, just chatted. And back then, he was telling me that he wanted to open up sort of his version of Planet Hollywood, but all Danny Trejo themed. This was in '09. Okay. And so many, many, many years later, you he opened up Trejo's Tacos, which there's now a, in, in Los Angeles. There's a Trejo's Tacos. There's a Trejo's Coffee and Donuts. And I want to – oh, in this Trejo's Cantina, which I may go have after this podcast is over. That sounds pretty good. But uh, but then I got to work with him just uh, about a year ago, actually, on a, a film called Acceleration that is coming out in February. And again, still just he, the nicest guy in the world. Came in for half a day. Um, they asked me if I could get him a little gift basket because it was real cold when we were shooting. You know, He's an older man. And so I got him a, an L.A. Rams – the coffee thermos type deal and he was he was so over the moon about this thing he came up to me and personally thanked me for grabbing it for him he's a huge la rams fan and he was just like 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 the nicest guy in the world because i bought him this like ten dollar mug he was so appreciative even though he's like a huge movie star you know what film of his i feel bad that i never watched but i because it was one of his only leading roles but i do you remember there was a viral video uh, a few years back oh badass the film's called Badass. That's right. Yeah, because it was based on yeah. this viral video that came out a few years back where this uh, an older man gets in a fight on a bus and just punches this guy bloody. Knocks and the hell out they, of him. Somehow they turned that into a film starring Danny Trejo. I haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> There's even a sequel, uh, Badasses 2, where he's teamed up with Mr. I'm getting too old for this shit himself, Danny Glover. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I haven't seen either of them, and I feel I, I feel like I'm the kind of guy they were made for, and I feel like I like I didn't do my part. Like <laughs> I need to watch those movies. Well, it's, you know, it's so funny when we're talking about the movie Grindhouse. You know, Grindhouse did several fake trailers. You know, in it with the idea that all of these movies would be made into movies or made a double feature Grindhouse twos. Oh uh, yeah, but only one Hobo of those fake shotgun, trailers. Uh, yeah, yeah, which actually did get made, but that was a fan. That was a, a, a fan-made trailer. So that was some fans just kind of raised some money and yeah. got that made. But you're talking about well, so the big a, one, Well, so there was a though, contest. The good one. That, well, there was a contest oh. so that, like, the best fake trailer would get included, and, and that was Hobo with a Shotgun. But, yeah, the big one, the big one that was, like, so well-received, and it warmed my heart as someone who, you know, again, not a lot of people on TV and, and movies looked like you. And Danny kind of was of the same culture that I came from, uh, and that's Machete. Yeah. And Machete not only made one movie, they made two. Yeah. And I, I didn't see the second one, but I loved Machete. That was it's so a very fun. cool movie, man. He gets the girls. Yeah. And and it had some stuff. Fucked with um, the wrong Mexican. You know, some stuff that, uh, di- you know, growing up in Corpus didn't go on in my house, but I certainly saw at some of my friends' houses. Um, there's a part where they put an egg under Machete's bed because uh, he's not oh, feeling yeah. good or something. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I never had an egg put under my bed, but I did occasionally have my aunt rub an egg on our foreheads. Uh-huh. So the, 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 essentially the idea was that you, you get rid of the ojo, the evil now, eye, me, by rubbing an egg on I'm your correct, head. If I'm correct, that is a uh, sort of like a dark spirit force that gathers from people giving you compliments without touching you. Am I correct about this? They can give you like a, the the easiest way I could describe it is almost like a bad luck spirit. Yeah. Right. Like they can give you a bad luck vibe. You know, as David Lynch would describe uh, the the thing in the air. It's it's a negative thing in the air around you, and in order to get rid of it, um, they they rub the they rub the egg on you, and that is supposed to dispel this 
this energy on you. Uh huh. Let's see. Uh, well, my fiance just entered. Maybe she knows. Uh, Hello, Ramona. Maybe she knows the answer to this. And happy birthday, Ramona. Uh, Ramona, um, we're discussing uh, Malojo. I don't. I don't really know how much there is to explain. Malojo is the evil eye. So. When you are envious of something that someone has or when you are feeling ill will towards them, you essentially stare them down, whether it's the back of their head, side of the head, stare them on the face, and you transfer the evil energy that you have, so the negative thoughts, onto their persona. So when you, in exchange, are walking around and you, you know, say someone touches you and says, que Dios te bendiga, may God bless you, or something like that, they're taking away the evil eye because they had this, like, really envious of the blonde hair that I had when I was a kid. And so I would walk around, people would be touching me all of the time, which was acceptable because they were envious of my hair, but didn't want to inflict negative thoughts into my spirit. And so they would touch me to remove that uh, negativity. Thank you for that clarification. I think, I think in modern day, they would call it the side eye, the side eye, getting that side, the side eye, eye, the side eye, his origin is from Mexican culture, which is the old. <laughs> but yeah, but again, movies like that, like, yes, they're wrapped into the facade of just being an action film. But what they do is they transfer and they expose culture, Mexican culture, to a broader audience in a way that's palatable. Like, it's it's a little bit of sugar with your medicine, right? It's a, it's a way of opening up your horizons within within the sort of the wrapping of just entertainment. Yes. It is, you know, and that's the that's the important part of it. And that's why we're taking this moment to talk about it, because, you know, movies are storytelling their experiences and we need to broaden those experiences and we need to broaden. We need to broaden voices at the table. We need to bring different cultures into our storytelling so that it can continue to grow and it cannot be, as Scorsese would say, just an amusement park, you know, and it can be something a little bit deeper than that. Uh, so Matt, what, what would you say, what, what would you say is your, probably your favorite film that is either from a Latin American, uh, or director or actor or, uh, Latin influenced film? Uh, well, Dave, I, I think you already know what it is because I think this, the same one that was always on cable television when we were growing up that we were all quoting, uh, that we, we this, is that film we all loved, uh, when we were kids, it just seemed to always be on the television, and we just knew every line from it. Are you referring to, uh, which is also my favorite film, uh, Blood In, Blood Out? Bound by Honor. See, I didn't like the subtitle. <laughs> well, it's not necessary. Blood In, Blood Out just it's sounds just, better. Blood but, is such a great But that is the full dude, title of the film, Blood In, Blood Out, Miklo, Bound by Honor. When I was young, growing up, me and my cousin Jason, we would call ourselves Fatos Locos. Forever. I think... Yeah, I think at one point we did try to like carve into our like hand like a V and an L oh, no. with like a pin. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty body all stuff there. <laughs> yeah. But like you know, yeah, that that movie resonated with us. And I'll tell you, um, I actually tried to watch it before this podcast, and apparently it's not available anywhere to stream. Yeah. So I had to order the DVD like twentieth century style. But um, I think the thing about that movie that that means so much to so many people is that it's a story about family. Uh-huh. And and generally speaking, I, I would say for all the movies that we're talking about, th- there's an undercurrent of of familia and the importance of familia like in every film. And I, I don't think, you know, like for those of you who are not familiar with Blood In, Blood Out, it's a story about three young men, two brothers and a cousin of theirs, 
Um, the cousin of which is uh, half half Caucasian, half Hispanic, and so he looks by all uh, appearances as a white guy. Yeah, blue but eyes, is, blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a what do they call him Guerrero. Yep. Um, they, they, but he's just as much from their, their neighborhood as they are, but he's always having to prove himself. And, uh, Benjamin Bratt of uh, law and order fame mm-hmm. kind of plays like his, uh, the, his cousin and the, the brother of another guy. And he's kind of the leader of the little gang, right? And they're just these rough scallions living in like East LA and one tragic event sort of changes all of their lives and they all go in very different directions. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, you know, what those locos thing is just kids having fun. I mean, yeah, it's just friends hanging out, having fun. Yeah, we're a gang. We're not a gang. Like, we're just friends, you know? Yeah, we all had gangs yeah. when we were, like, 10, okay? All all Hispanic children have, like, their gang of their four, ten cousins, you know, when you're young. And then hopefully you just don't go into a real gang when you get older. Right. But, um, yeah, so one of them goes into the prison system. Danny Trejo is in that movie as well. Yep. Uh, one of them goes into the military and then uh, and then subsequently into the police force. And then one of them f- develops a drug addiction and is an artist. Because a famous painter. Yeah, that's right. Famous painter, yeah. And so I mean, it tracks these three lives as they intersect later, you know, having gone through very, very different paths, but always still bound by that by that blood, by that family that they grew up with. Yeah, and, that, and the painter character really struck me. That was that resonated with me a lot because he was um, – he was painting the things that that re- reflected his life. His uh, these beautiful portraits of his friends, you know, in their uh, the 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 styles of uh, what is it like L.A. where they live? Uh, it's yeah. yeah, and in the, that kind of '80s L.A. style, and um, it's uh, there's this amazing scene where he's having an art show at this prominent gallery, and it's you know his paintings are selling for thousands of dollars, and his friends are trying to get into the show to go. You know, to go sell as as all of us, our, our artists, uh, our right. friends do. They come to our shows to to celebrate us. You know, and and they can't get in until he comes and lets them in. And and they're like pointing at the paintings, like that's me in the painting, man. Like you got to let me in here. And the, de- right. the art dealer is like, uh, I'm sorry, this is a closed event, and you know, and he's got to go and let his friends in. And um, I, I that really resonated with me because I I've had a lot of art shows where you know, friends hear about it and they come and, and, um, you're so glad they're there. And, uh, it's, it's a weird thing for, well, this is kind of a sidetrack, but it's a weird thing for artists because it's like, do I focus on these patrons that are, you know, possibly going to buy stuff or do I talk to my friends? And, and, and so that well, was a cool we, scene and, to see that. And I, I, I think it's relevant of it because there's, there is that divide, right? There's a divide between the patron and there's divide between the community that created the art. Yeah. And, I think that's relevant to our conversation because so much of us celebrating Latin influence on cinema is tearing that boundary down, right? It's not just movie. You know, Latin movies are not just movies made for people of Hispanic or Mexican American or Latino or Latina origin, right? That's not that's not their purpose. They 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 do reach out to a broader audience, right? But how many people? How many people love a movie like say? Um, Frida, and then would allow people whom Frida would have been around, people of that culture, into their home willingly. Yeah, exactly. You know, how how many people may like the George Lopez show, but then accept and have friends and, and become a part of the culture that they're laughing at on ABC? You know, and so I think that that's really where the importance comes for, and that's where more uh, 
people of, of many of all origins, but especially for me personally, like of like of Hispanic and Mexican American culture, need to really get involved and keep creating art, be it music, be it uh, paintings, be it uh, cinema, because that's how that that boundary between the patron and the friends and the community that helped you make that art. That is how that gets torn down by constantly showing that our cultures are not so different and that we can learn from one another. So with that, Matt, would you like to go to the mailbag? Sure. Questions from Crypt. Veronica Casa asks, will you be doing a tournament for the best foreign horror film? Not, yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Super relevant to what we're talking about today. Yeah, this is yeah. actually a question from last week that I just came in a little bit too late from when we were recording. Um, but yeah, I, uh, absolutely. We're, just, we're talking about culture on this podcast. Why wouldn't we do uh, a tournament that has um, foreign films at the at the highlight? You know, and foreign from you know we talked about uh, let the white right one in. That's a foreign horror film. You know, but that, that's definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely more films that we can that we can incorporate into next week's or next the next tournament we do whenever we do that. I'm not sure when that will be. You know, maybe we should just always have a tournament going because uh, they are fun. And uh, you know, twice now since the last tournament, we've had questions about That's what true. the next tournament will be. And uh, there's just so many little competitions we can imagine. So maybe that's something we should just bring bring out. Yeah, let, maybe we can get some feedback from the. From yeah, let us but, know, guys. Yeah, man, I could see that. Just having tournaments going all the time. Right, right. So so let us know. Let us know what kind of tournaments you want to see. Let us know if you want to see another one. Maybe there's a different competition that we can do or, or some sort of listicle that we could do. But we, we definitely want to bring you guys the opportunity to be a part of our show with us. So if you guys like the tournament format, we're happy to bring it to you guys because that's what this is all about. It's all about community. It's all about familia. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Viva La Raza Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.